listening to First Church Charlotte. All right, all right. God bless you as you head back to your seats. A joy to have you all in the house of the Lord. It's a beautiful day. Like the psalmist said, this is the day that the Lord hath made. Why don't you finish it for me? I will rejoice and be glad in it. I love being with God's people. I love standing in the presence of the Lord with God's people. Uh, We are connected one with another uh, because we first were connected with Jesus Christ. And so our connection becomes a threefold cord where we as the body of Christ are connected one to another and both of us respectively, all of us are are connected through through one another to Jesus Christ, through Jesus to one another. And this is a, a spiritual threefold cord of fellowship. And so I'm able to look at you as Jesus sees you, not as, not as the accuser sees you, but as Jesus sees you. That means through his great work of Calvary, I see the best of you. You say, well, I have some bad habits. We know. We've lived with you. You're crazy as a bat. We know. But through grace and mercy, we look at each other. It's like the psalmist said, Lord, let me see the good of thy chosen. Through Jesus Christ, we see the good of one another. Not your crazy bad habit that you've been struggling with and we thought we were done with, but it popped back up last month. (laughs) It's a little too close to the truth, right? (laughs) I'm just, I I want you all to know today, I appreciate you and I love you. And it's an honor, it's the honor of my life to stand in this house and open the word of the Lord and uh, teach you all and share with you all. Honored to have a pastor from uh, Maryland here today, uh, Pastor Bocage. Am I pronouncing that last name right? I got it right? My God, I thought I was going to need interpretation. Uh, these are wonderful people, uh, actually friends of, of Carol uh, from up in uh, the cold country where all saved people come to the south. And uh, so uh, we're honored to have you guys here today and uh, just blessed in the larger body of Christ. Can I have a big amen? All right. So I want to uh, finish up a series I've been doing uh, on this subject, You Are Invited. And the, the whole idea of this series was prompted by my reflection upon the, the invitational nature of the kingdom of God, how we are always invited, uh, whether you read the words of Jesus or you sit in an apostolic service and feel what we church people call conviction. It always has this invitational nature to it where you're invited to take a step forward. Um, it, doesn't, it doesn't ever feel like you're being assaulted by heaven. <laughs> it doesn't feel like anybody is dragging you, making you to do something. It's always this kind of an image. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Yes. If you would just open to me I would come in and we would sit together and we would have spiritual sustenance together and we would have fellowship together. This invitational nature of the kingdom of God. And today, since I'm, I'm ending this series, You Are Invited, I wanted to, I wanted to find probably, I, I would call the essential invitation, the central thematic invitation that Jesus offers 
uh, to, to all of us. And that is, of course, the famous passage. And I'll start it, and you can, and you can join in and, and, and say it with me. Come unto me, all ye who labor and are heavy laden, and what? I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. And learn of me, Jesus says. For my yoke is what? Now, I know this side of the church has a dawn, so it's always a little bit louder, okay? I, I want this side to be a little bit louder. Somebody say, my yoke is easy. All right. Now, Don was silent in embarrassment there. It's all right, brother. We need you to keep this side prayed through over here. Um, so this is, I would say, the the... If you had to pick one, there's, there's several, there's several, but since we had to pick one, I, I picked this one. It, it has this feel to it. Come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn of me. Uh, this yoke of the Lord Jesus Christ is not meant to be perceived as, as a heavy thing, not not meant to be perceived as a, a burdensome thing, but there is this element within it of, of, of joy, this element of your life is richer with this yoke than it ever could have been without this yoke. There's this indescriptible element to it, and I know that uh, we, you know, us preachers, we, 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 we talk a lot about these themes and we talk a lot about these ideas and uh, particularly those of you who have served the Lord for a good many years, it's, it's easy to kind of nod along with the vague promise and kind of, you know, clap along with the, the vague image and, and say amen with the favorite scripture and then kind of leave and go to the restaurant and not really wrestle with what it means for, for me because it's, it's aspirational. I think that would be a word we would use. And just give me a moment here to get started. I'm starting slow today. That means I won't preach more than two hours. So, so just be res- restored in your soul. This, this, this element of, of what does that mean for me? And, and we come into the house of God and we sing about joy. I got the joy, 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 joy. They wouldn't sing my favorite song this morning. Down in my heart, down in my heart. Hey, joy. Okay, all right. Now, what does that feel? What does that look like? Is it just the joy of things went really well? Or is there something more beyond that? What is it? What are all of these images? And Jesus continually teaches us about the kingdom of God, which is hard for the flesh to understand, with the image of things that the flesh can't understand. Uh, that's the point of parables. The kingdom of heaven is like uh, man seeking goodly pearls. Now, that's something you can understand. The kingdom of heaven, not so easy. Much more uh, divine mystery, much more um, aspirational calling, much more uh, glory, but I don't know what that means, and much more majesty, but I don't exactly know how. But this is what you should think. A man seeking goodly pearls. He's a pearl merchant. He wants something of value, and he, he's seeking. He says, I can understand that. And he goes, through a field. You guys, you understand what I'm saying. So it is that the image of spiritual teaching gives us understanding into the kingdom of God. We understand that which is difficult to understand to the flesh by the image or the example or the metaphor or the parable of things that are easy for the flesh to understand. That's what Jesus is saying when he says, take my yoke upon you. But don't let me get ahead of myself. I I want to, um, let's see here. I I very much want to 
see the difference between Christianity and churchianity? Hmm. You didn't want to think this morning, did you? It snowed yesterday. It was so cozy. And and here I'm making you think. I I want to perceive as an individual follower of Jesus Christ uh, the difference between Christianity to be like Jesus and uh, churchianity. Kind of, you know, to have this, this kind of communal uh, image or, or label or, or something. Church is an aid and church is a blessing. And don't anyone misunderstand to think that I don't love church. I love church. But church can be learned behavior, not celebration of relationship. Church can be clapping on the two and the four and patting your foot on the one and the three. Church can be, now we take up an offering because that's very religious. It's like the plane was about to crash and someone screamed, somebody do something religious. So the preacher got up and took up an offering. <laughs> Everything costs money, so, you know. Uh, I, I, I want you to see that it, the church can be, now we give announcements. Now the preacher is going to tell us how we've been living wrong and acting crazy and we're straightened up and come to this altar or our wives are going to get us. There is more than just a family of covenant. You can be a part of a family of covenant and not having received the promise of God, seen it afar off, had faith for it, and never received it in your life. There must be some type of a fundamental difference between going to church and following the road that Jesus beckons us to follow. Um, Religion has its limits. Religion feels like duty. Christianity isn't religion. Now, I know, I I know, I know, I know how we use the language. I know how we use the term. And yes, yes, if you want to just go by the way we use the term, um, Christianity is the largest religion in the world, yes, and still the fastest growing uh, by many calculations. Numbers, depending on how you calculate, can be made to dance to a song. But by most broad measures, Christianity still is, is fast growing. It's just moved its arena of influence from the West and the developed worlds uh, to the South and the East. And a lot of times, uh, as a result, it's easy to think in terms of managed religious or managed Christian decline. But I want to speak to anyone who will listen and say the church is not in managed decline. It's not the will of God that the church be in managed decline. It's the will of God that the church be a manifestation of the army of heaven with divine purpose, with divine intention, marching forward according to the call of God wherewith he has called every one of you. It's not the will of God for you to walk in fear, to walk in intimidation. You should speak not with your authority, but with the authority in the name of Jesus. As a church, we should be bold in our faith. We should be quick to speak the name of Jesus. Man, I wish I'd have got a little bit better amen on that. We should be quick to speak the name of Jesus. We should be quick to say, God, I want your will manifest in this city, in my family, in this house. It's not about us. It's not about we. It is all about you. 
the, religion misses it when it becomes a system for approaching God rather than a celebration of how God came to us. Uh, religion misses it when we focus on, at the end of the day, when people leave our presentation of the gospel, what they get from that is Christianity says do. When they leave, they should have a sense of Christianity says done. It's not what you do, it's what he has done. Because that changes it from obligation to a love story, and it only works as a love story. Christianity only works as a love story. It does not work as a system whereby you climb up heaven's ladder. That just doesn't work. That's religion story. You know, traditions of approach to the great mysteries. That's not what the story of Jesus Christ is. This is why when he comes to teach, he doesn't say, behold, I will show you the way. He says, I am the way. Because Christianity works as relationship. It does not work as system of obligation. It does not work as duty celebrated. It works as relationship. In Christ, I am complete. In Christ, I have hope. In Christ, I am healed. In Christ, I know the truth. In Christ, I experience life. In Christ, I walk this way. And so there is nothing truly, and, and we get this, we sing about it, we sing about it today. Uh, there's nothing we can do to accomplish what Christ has accomplished, otherwise it would be a celebration of the flesh instead of a worship session of God, what he has done rather than what we do. Now, this is not permission, this is not permission, it's not as though um, you say to yourself, well, because we're celebrating Christ and his righteousness, that means I have nothing I do. The difference is Christianity is built on what you could never do. What you do is a love story in response to what you never could do. And therefore, it could never feel like obligation or you've missed it. It must feel like worship or it fails. All right, now, I'm making you think too much. I'm sorry. Christianity literally becomes a possession, not an accomplishment. We are given God's gift of the Holy Spirit, and we find ourselves transformed, our hearts desiring to fulfill the mandate of heaven rather than fulfill the mandate of the flesh. Our hearts transformed. Somebody say transformed. And this is why it must feel like relationship or we miss something fundamental. Real quick, let me uh, throw uh, some scripture at you here uh, that will, uh, maybe you won't know this scripture as well as the other one, uh, but I, I think it's uh, helpful here today. Matthew 11, verse number 27. Also, all my notes are available online. If you go to the church website, you can download the notes I'm preaching from. Uh, verse 27, all things have been delivered to me by my Father, Jesus says. Think about this. All things have been delivered to me by my Father, Jesus says, and no one knows the Son except the Father, nor does anyone know the Father except the Son, and the one to whom the Son wills to reveal him. This is the thing. It's really, really hard for finite beings to comprehend infinity. Infinity has consequences and finite beings, beings cannot just rush up to it and claim to understand, possess, or have insight. John, the apostle, said like this, no man has seen God at any time. Note to self. 
Nobody's seen God. In other words, the infinity of God, the well of heaven, the eternal one. We don't have a sense of him. He is beyond us. The slightest, the slightest manifestation of who he is threatens our very being because to see him as he is is to be subsumed into his being and therefore no man hath seen God at any time. But God chose to reveal himself through begotten flesh. God chose to manifest himself through begotten flesh. And in the same manner that Adam uh, represented his original state and turned away from that through sin, and we received a spirit of rebellion, a, a tendency, shall we say, of rebellion in the same manner. Christ, the begotten flesh of God, walked among us, lived among us, and became the manifestation of truth. Not a way to truth, the manifestation of truth. So if you want to see God, it's not formula, it's Jesus Christ. Now there's nothing wrong with systemized understanding. That's the whole point of the epistles. The point is that is not relationship. You can read them, you can memorize them and not have a heart that trembles for the presence of God. You can quote scripture. The devil loves to quote him some scripture. Good at it too. Always knows the right one. He adds just that one verse, you know, that one word changes all the meaning, makes you feel better about your sinful self. That's what he does. But you can quote the scripture and not have a sense of the presence of God in your life, not be a temple where the Shekinah dwells. You are invited to relationship, not system of self-improvement, not some type of Napoleon heel, I will get better by this time next year, a relationship with Jesus Christ. We must be the people of the presence of God. Because without presence, all we're left with is some type of human reasoning. Well, this would be better than that, and that would be better than this. And I think maybe this would be the No, 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 no. Through Jesus Christ, we have access to God, and through him, we can know the eternal God. That's why Jesus says, no one knows the Father except the Son and those to whom the Son reveal, uh, chooses to reveal him. So it is that Jesus will say, if I be lifted up, I will do what? I will draw all men unto me. This has a twofold meaning, and I'm kind of just dancing around in my notes. You guys know how I do. So um, anyway, if you read the notes later, they're, they're very nice for that time. But right now, we're just kind of square dancing up here, okay? So the, here's the idea. Two ways of being lifted up, all right? The way of rejection. This is when people who hate everything Christ represents, they hate the invitation to this different way of knowing God. They hate it, they hate it, and they, 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 form this, this coalition of lies and they commit fraud and they, they get him in trouble with the Roman Empire and then they manipulate the Roman Empire and the result of their hatred is death. Christ is lifted up, pinioned against the sky. The only good one who ever lived treated, treated like the most evil of us all. The only gentle one that ever really lived treated like the most violent of us all. The only one who really could make a difference, treated as though he didn't matter. Here he is. If I be lifted up, I will draw all men up unto me. What do you think worship is? Worship is the same thing in antithesis, in opposition, in opposite. Hatred lifts him up in violence and death. Worship lifts him up in adoration and glory. He draws either way. You see, you can't defeat the king of heaven. 
he will not be defeated. Do your worst, he's drawing all men unto him. Do your best, he's drawing all men and women unto him. Love him, hate him, the cross is still effective. Serve him, reject him, grace is still amazing. Come unto me, all ye who labor and are heavy laden. I will give you rest. Jesus makes two invitations. The first is, come unto me, you who are labor and heavy laden. I'll give you rest. Uh, that's number one. And um, he speaks to us, and he gives us this image of oxen that are laden with a load. They have a crushing load upon them. Uh, this is this come unto me who you are labor. This is not a positive view of humanity. It's imagine walking up to somebody you don't know and saying you are just, you, you just look exhausted. Anybody ever have that? Someone do that to you? You look so tired. That happened to me once in the eighties, but I slapped them on both cheeks. No, I, that, that happens. It's, it's no joy when someone comes up and say, you look exhausted. Are you about to die? Well, thank you. I feel better. I love you too. Blessings upon you or curses, whichever I can get away with. This is not a positive affirmation of the state of humanity. All you guys heavy laden, I will give you rest. Now, we read this with modern ears. Uh, this is one of the most common failings we do uh, as Bible students because, I, look, we're busy, we work, um, we read it, and um, sometimes we're lazy students. And I, I, I say that that's true of all of us. Uh, sometimes, sometimes we're lazy students. We just rush over the words, and the only question in our mind is, what does that mean for me? Uh, now, I, I understand. I'm not unsympathetic. I've been doing that for years, um, but it's probably more forgivable for you than it is for me because here's the thing. I, I'm a preacher, and I'm supposed to get deep into it. I suppose you guys have organized yourself in such a way that I get to spend my life digging and seeking this scripture, and so I want to thank you uh, for your kind support of me that allows me to nerd out uh, on scriptures like this. I, I don't want to be a lazy, st I don't want to just read it with modern ears. Jesus is saying something here beneath the text, and I, I want to share that with you, because the next thing he says is this, after pointing out the heaviness of the human condition, after pointing out uh, the, 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 the heaviness of what it means to, to live and walk in this life and uh, the guilt that can weigh our conscience and uh, the shame that can, can freight our heart. And, and to be honest, if we don't feel those things, it's really hard for us to come to God. We, we come to God at the end of ourselves, not at the beginning of ourselves. Um, and if you don't have a sense of uh, living at the end of yourself, then uh, it's going to be improbable that you would turn to God because after all, you still have all the answers. But those of you who are living and you have a deep sense of not having the answers, I want to say you are in a blessed condition. This is the point of the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are the meek. <laughs> I don't have time to preach that. This is the blessed condition. I am now able to receive heaven's gift in my life. As long as I thought I was the solution, as long as I thought I had the answers, there was a limited possibility for blessing in my life. But having suffered enough, some of you guys haven't suffered enough. I'm just praying that you'll get the suffering over as soon as possible so you can get to the blessed condition of realizing that the God's, God's ability in your life begins where your solutions end. Come on. This is, the, this is the inherent doubt in always arguing with God. Uh, you come to the altar, you give it to God, and before you get to your car, you pick it back up. 
You didn't give it to God. You practice some self-help therapy. I've done it many, many times. I know how to do it. I did not buy the t-shirt because it was not very much fun. But we all do that. This is just as much an act of doubt as if we voiced doubt. And so here we are giving these things to God. We come to the end of our self. We have this sense of ready to hear an invitation of God. If you're not there yet, you are not ready. Um, I, I, I think, I pray that life gives you this gift of emptiness. Because now you are ready to discover waters to swim in. Jesus will say this, they who are healthy don't need a doctor. If you don't have a sense of that heaviness, come unto me all you who are heavy laden. If you don't have a sense of that, you're not ready for the doctor. But when you are heavy laden, now you are ready for the doctor. When we sense our spiritual sickness, when we sense our burdens, our heart is ready to see, or shall I say, hear an invitation from from heaven. And he says, come unto me, you guys who have a sense of your incompleteness, you guys who have a sense of how empty life can be, you guys who have a sense of how heavy and how, how difficult this life can be, come unto me. When you get that, come unto me, I will give you rest. And then he says this, Take my yoke upon you. Take my yoke upon you. Real quick, um, because most of us didn't grow up in an agricultural, shall I say, uh, 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 ancient agricultural society, we may not know what a yoke is, all right? Uh, I was talking to someone, and they said a yoke. They described a bridle, um, and they were, said that's a yoke. No, a yoke is a bar of wood that is put on ox, usually oxen shoulders that has hoops of some type in it. The hoops are too small for the shoulders of the oxen to get through and too small for the head of the oxen to pull back through. They are stuck in a very tight place. There's a term for this. It's called being choked by life. You can do what I say or we'll just choke you until you like it. This is the role of an ox. But what it, uh, not an ox, the role of a yoke it placed upon an ox. What this does, however, what this, what this does is it is enabled to take the strength of an uh, ox and quite against the ox's will, quite against the ox's will. Ox do not, oxen don't wake up in the morning and say, I just wish there was a plow I could pull. They don't. They wake up in the morning and they think, mmm, grass. Now, I made that up. I've never been an oxen. I have no idea what oxen think when they get up in the morning. But the idea is it's against their will. The yoke of, the yoke is an instrument that forces its will upon an animal. And so here you have these oxen and they are stuck in here. Now, if what we take from this passage, here again, this is back to being lazy Bible students. Um, if what we take from this passage is the Lord saying, um, my way is easy, um, and uh, let's negotiate how much you're willing to pay for eternal life. That's not what he's saying to the hearers, because there is in Jewish teaching, Jewish history, there is this image used over and over as the law, as a yoke. Starting in the exile, when the rise of the rabbinical schools, uh, uh, rabbinical, I mixed uh, rabbinical and 
the Sabbath, to create a new word for your listening pleasure called sabbatical. If you'd like to write that down, no one will know what you're talking about. But the rabbinical schools, the rise of the rabbinical schools, there comes this idea of, of the law as yoke. And it's mentioned in the writings of rabbinical scholars over and over again. This is so often used that I will, I searched yesterday modern Jewish teaching for converts, and there's several good websites that do this, and uh, it's modern teaching for people who want to become a Jewish convert, and this image of law as yoke is still being, still being used. The yoke, Old Testament symbol of authority, a symbol of something that is upon you through rabbinical teaching. Uh, it's a symbol of this. This is from a website I got yesterday, Modern Jewish Teaching. Jews con- constitute a covenant community rather than a faith community. The decision to convert is a decision not only to believe in the Jewish idea of God, but to act on that belief. When one enters into the covenant, um, a person's uh, an individual's personal Sinai, which is where the Jewish people accepted the covenant, one accepts the divine mandate requiring a, a, a distinctive behavior. This is called, this is their words, going all the way back to the exile, this is called acceptance of the yoke of the commandments. The rabbis rule that the, rabbis rule that the, con- the candidate for conversion may not willfully reject even one of these laws. By this they mean that the convert to reject any one of their laws of that were given by Moses in their interpretation of their laws, uh, they refer to this, they may, the individual may not deny the rabbi's authority to establish any of these details. Thus, the commitment to practice is referred to as Kabbalah Allah mitzvot. I, my pronunciation is terrible. Quote, the acceptance of the yoke of the commandments. This term, yoke, over and over and over in Jewish history, all the way back to the exile, is referring to the law, your old way of pleasing God, your old way of knowing God, your traditional way of uh, worshiping God. And Jesus says to these people, and they hear it like this, you have a covenant. I've come to give you a better covenant. This is not a covenant simply of order, not simply a covenant of law, not simply a covenant of system. This is a covenant of relationship. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. And so I say to every one of us, Christianity works as a divine relationship or it misses the very claims that made it different. And so as a pastor, I I want you to attend regularly because you need the church and the church needs you. I want you to value your brothers and sisters because we're incomplete without you. I want you to love the worship, the worship team that works hard. I hope you like my preaching. It's better than hating my preaching. And so, you know, I I want all that stuff. I love the things the church does. I love our small groups. I I, I love our, 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 our teaching classes. I love our celebrations. I love our student ministry. I love this church and I love all of you, but this church cannot work as a system of us. It only works as a celebration of him. 
Does that make sense? I want you to live a life of witness and worship. Witness uh, your good works, which are biblical. They can be two things. They can be worship. If you love me, Jesus says, keep my commandments. Or they can be witness. Let men see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. That's what good, I hope you have good works. I hope your life is a testimony. I hope no one says of you, my goodness, not even the heathen talk like that. My goodness, not even the heathen act like that. I hope no one does that of you. But I want you to know, Christianity doesn't work as a system of good works. It can only work as a relationship with the manifest presence of God. It only works as you desiring to walk closer to him. You responding to a divine invitation and Jesus says I stand at the door and knock I'd like to walk with you today I would like to spend time with you today I would like to manifest my kingdom through your hands I would like to speak my word through your lips this is what he is saying when he says my yoke is easy my burden is light because it's no longer duty it's now Love. It's no longer obligation. It is now relationship. There's a great weakness, and simply, and all of us who grew up in the church, we we probably understand this better than people who did not grow up in the church. And all of you parents who have children growing up in the church is something we should think about. I'm almost done. Musicians, you can come. Um, something we should think about. We cannot give Christ as a system of obligations or we misrepresent what it means to be a Jesus follower. We cannot give Christ as a system of law rather than the giver of grace. We cannot do it. Because if we do, that child will grow up experiencing not worship but duty and it will always feel empty to them. It'll always feel like obligation. It'll always feel like another person's sacrifice. We must introduce them as best we can to this sense of Christ standing at the edge of their life saying, can I walk with you today? Christ standing at the edge of their life saying, will you talk with me today? Jesus saying, can I use your testimony? Can I use your hands? Can I use your feet? This is to replace the idea of obligation with the idea of devotion. This is to take someone who has been a servant and is free to go, but who then chooses because they love the master And because they love the family of the master, they say, no, mark me as a slave or servant of choice, a slave or servant of love, not of duty. I'm a free man. I could walk away, but I want to stay in this house because of the divine romance, not because of a divine obligation. It's an easier way to walk. It's a better way to live. A few centuries back, famous preacher by the name of John Bunyan. He was a a Puritan who had a passionate desire to serve the Lord and know the Lord. He wrote the most published book after the Bible in all history entitled Pilgrim's Progress. Some of you may have read Pilgrim's Progress. I read it as a teenager. Uh, Great book. It's a metaphor of people serving God, coming through all the stages of, of life. 
and serving God through all them. And this metaphor of a journey is, is aptly chosen. And he has to walk through swamps of despair and dark places of fear and valleys of the shadow of death, all in an attempt to get to the celestial city. Beautiful story. Let me give you some backstory. John Bunyan uh, was not an ordained minister. Um, he started preaching when it was okay for lay ministers to speak. But there was this problem that developed in the Church of England, and that was no one wanted to listen to the Church of England people. They wanted to listen to John Bunyan. And so the church would be empty for the ordained Anglican priest. And then when John Bunyan would come in at the, at the, in the afternoon and they'd let him use the building, the place would fill up. Well, this caused problems, as you might would, as you might would know. Um, the Anglican church had no problem with pomp, ceremony. They had no problem with, how shall we say, uh, systems of pleasing God. They were, they, they, they were printing their common books of prayer. They had their, uh, what, they, what you would think of as a catechism, which is uh, their term for right doctrine, church-approved doctrine. They had all of these things. That's not what people were hungry for. People were moved by a passionate opportunity to know the Lord Jesus Christ. And so here comes John Bunyan, and he's like, okay, all that stuff's good, but understand it's all just a system. It's not divine presence. You must know Christ. You must walk with Christ. You must live in that intangible mystery of the presence of God. Well, uh, this caused problems, and so uh, they, they, they passed a law that if you were not an ordained minister... Through the Church of England, you could not preach. They wanted to get the crowds back. And so, um, of course, I'm just giving the, just an glo- overview of this. Uh, all the details are, you can spend, you can get in the weeds if you want, but I'm just giving you an overview. Well, so what John Bunyan does is he says, you know, um, I'll go, if I remember right, it was eight miles out of town. Now, eight miles is longer than some people will drive to church at 60 miles an hour. And... Uh, he said, they won't bother me out here eight miles away um, in a barn. They went from this beautiful Church of England to a barn. And I'm sure the Church of England thought, okay, well, that's, that's probably good. Um, no one will go walk uh, eight miles to a barn. They won't do that. But here's the thing. Once people have a sense of the presence of God, they'll never be satisfied with the catches. That's why I want every one of us to be awakened to a sin. Look, everything we do is good. It's God. But that is, it, it, if that's all it is, it fails. People were walking eight miles to a barn right by the gorgeous Anglican churches where they use state funds to build beautiful churches. They're still there. Europe's churches are beautiful, but empty. They walked right by them. And they walked to a barn. Eight miles, I believe it was, out of town. And John Bunyan is illegally preaching. The place is packed out. Well, the priests look around. They're not here. Where are they going to church? They follow the crowds. Grounds all tore up where people walked out there. And they catch John Bunyan preaching without ordination in a barn packed with people who aren't satisfied with a system. They want a relationship. And so they take John Bunyan and they throw him in jail. And... um. He spends 12 years in Bedford jail for preaching in a barn eight miles out of town. And so during that time, he thinks, well, hmm, what am I going to do here? And, you know, that, that 
that British countryside weather, you know, it's raining half the time, overclass, damp, and he's crouched in this non-centrally uh, conditioned building. <laughs> he's a prisoner, and he's, his, his, his friends are bringing a paper, and he starts writing this book, Pilgrim's Progress. I'm going to read you one passage of the book, and I think it is so beautiful where he, he gives an insight into this, this, this idea of a lighter burden to bear, uh, a lighter yoke to carry. And he says this, he's in this image of his main character named, uh, happily enough, Christian. And uh, Christian runs thus until he came to a place somewhat ascending. And upon that place stood a cross and a little below in the bottom, a sepulcher. So I saw in my dream that just as Christian came up with the cross to the level of the cross, his burden loosed from off his back and began to tumble and continued to do so, fell all the way down the hill until it fell into the mouth of the sepulcher. And he says, where it fell in and I saw it no more, his burden at the cross fell into a grave. Then was Christian glad and lightsome and said with a merry heart, he has given me rest by his sorrow and life by his death. Then Christian stood still a while to look and to wander, for it was very surprising to him that the sight of this cross should thus ease his burden. So he looked and looked again even until the springs that were in his head sent water down his cheeks. Take my yoke upon you. Learn of me. Take my yoke upon you. Learn of me. Christ won a victory you and I could not even see. He paid a debt you and I couldn't even calculate. And if your relationship with Christ feels like a crushing burden, you've missed something fundamental about what it means to be a Jesus follower. When I'm getting ready for a message, I often pray for the Lord to give me an emotional insight into the people I'm preaching to because I believe that helps me be more passionate. It helps me to, 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 to be passionate. And I, so I, to be completely honest with you, a lot of times I pray that prayer and I don't don't really get any emotional window, shall we say. But I I was praying, I was praying early this morning about this message and, and I was like, Lord, help me to feel the state of someone today who your presence is going to reach for and help me in some way to have a sense of it that I can try to reach for it. And for a brief second, For a brief second, I felt like I was drowning. I felt like I was drowning, like I couldn't, like something had seized me and I, I couldn't breathe. So I've come to deliver, to deliver a message today to somebody who your place makes you feel like you're drowning. It makes you feel like you can't breathe. And I'm here to remind you of this invitation of God And he says, take my yoke upon you. Let's trade obligations. 
you do what you can do and I'll do what I can do. And the good news is, is I can do enough for both of us. So take my yoke upon you. I know you know a system. I know you know a a way that's fine but limited. Learn of me, he says. Would you stand with me all across the house? Every head bowed, every eye closed. If you identify in your spirit with what I'm, I'm trying to say and you, you have this sense of being compressed by life and almost the sense of obligations pressing you down and your joy is much diminished, let me pray for you here today. I, I won't embarrass you. If, if I'm preaching to you today, lift your hands all over the house. Our eyes are closed. Our, our hearts are open. That's so many of you. Lord Jesus, you see every hand that is in this moment of confession. They're opening themselves to you. Lord, I I pray for them today. I pray that somehow these words, these limited words of mine would in some way kind of break through all the junk in their life and break through all the troubles in their life, all the stuff that they tried to do and all their plans, all their building of this spiritual house rather than giving you the tools to build through them. Lord Jesus, I'm praying that we would come to the end of ourselves, that we would be spiritually humbled enough to turn from our solutions and seek your solution. I'm praying today that we would turn from our labors and rejoice in your labor, your victory. Turn from what we can accomplish and celebrate what you have already accomplished. In Jesus' name we pray. Here at First Church, we're big believers in taking a a step of faith, taking a a confessional step of faith where we put ourselves in the place of intercession. I'm going to ask my pastoral team to come down here to the front. And those of you who raised your hand, I'm not going to to call you out. I'm not going to embarrass you. But I'd like to invite you, if, if, if you're ready and you'd like to join your faith with someone else's faith, I'd like you to step out of the chair you're in right Thank you for listening to First Church Charlotte. If this podcast has blessed you, please rate it with four or five stars. By doing so, you will help others find our free podcast and bless them. If you're in the Charlotte, North Carolina area, come worship with us at 4929 North Sharon Amity Road. For information about service times, church ministries, and so much more, visit us online at firstchurchclt.com. If you would like to help support our efforts, please text GIVE to 704-445-5353. We pray God's richest blessings to you. Come worship with us.